the road to recovery. You might be cruising down it. A friend or family member lost on it. Or the road is, well, still under construction. Relevant Recovery Radio is about getting to that destination of normal health, mind, or strength. Now, Relevant Recovery Radio, here to give you the keys, Heather and Donnie Mosier. Hello. Welcome to this week's episode of Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosier. My other half, Donald, not here today. Not here. So I'm enjoying that moment of freedom. But anyways, uh, the Relevant Recovery Radio Show is sponsored by the Matthews Help Foundation. Uh, It's a nonprofit foundation uh, aiming to educate the public about addiction and recovery and what works and what doesn't work and how can we bring resources together and help people. And so that foundation uh, gave birth to the Matthews Hope Detox and Recovery Program. And we have a two-week detox program inside St. Joseph's Hospital in downtown Houston, followed with up to 24 months of free recovery coaching and aftercare and alumni events. Um, And it's just a wonderful program. Our success rates are incredible. I happen to work there. (laughs) And I get to follow these people for two years and help them not just get sober, but stay sober. And not just be sober, but be happy and sober at the same time. (laughs) And so if you would like any information about our program, what we do, you or a loved one, might need help, give us a call at 844-AND-HOPE, which is 844-263-4673, or you can visit our website, which has tons of wonderful information. It is www.mhdrp.org. That's mahurpaturp.org. So there's tons of info there. Uh, You are listening to us either on Sundays at 1 at KPRC AM 950, or you're listening through us uh, on the iHeartRadio app, Sundays at 1 on KPRC channel, or you're listening to us later that evening on iHeart app, the Relevant Recovery Radio channel. Um, so the episodes air Sunday at 1, and then they upload around 6 or 7 p.m. to the iHeart app. And you can also find all of our past episodes on iHeart, Relevant Recovery Radio. And you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Relevant Recovery Radio. Right now, we are accepting your questions, listeners, on any questions you have about addiction, alcoholism, recovery, the 12 steps. Um, and we are going to do a Q&A episode that will air February 6th, I think. Yes, that's correct. And so submit your questions by then, and we can read your questions on air, and you can be anonymous if you want to. Just state that in your questions. Let me get to my guest. My guest in studio is Christina Stafford. Welcome to the show. Hi there. (laughs) So great to be here. I'm so excited to have you back. Here's what actually happened. Let's fill in our audience a little bit. And so you came in uh, more than a month ago or so to record episode one, because we're going to do a two-part series with your story, because your story is just incredible. (laughs) (laughs) But... Something happened, and we recorded the episode, and it was lovely. And then there was a, a server glitch in the matrix here. Oh yeah, and it got lost, lost in the cloud, <laughs> like gone. And it's never happened before to any of our shows. Never heard of this happening, and no fault of anyone. You know, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not trying to play. I think that this is spiritual warfare. Certainly is. And you think that this is spiritual. Maybe our listeners think it's just a glitch in the matrix and stuff like that happens. But I think that the there are forces in the universe that don't want you to share your testimony and don't want you to share what God's done for you. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and so I'm excited to finally be able to get you because then you were sick a couple times. A couple times right before rescheduling. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, this is so spiritual. <laughs> this is an attack. And I'm like, what's going on here? I, I, we're just going to be diligent and we're going to ha- get you on. Oh, and absolutely. Here you are. <laughs> Happy to be here. And so I wanted to bring you on 
as many times as I need to schedule you to share your story with the public because you, just an overview, you were adopted from Russia uh, yes. at like two. Yes. And you grew up with wonderful parents in Houston. Oh, the best. But then you fell into some drug addiction around high school. I sure did. And then you went to a very long treatment center and were trying to phase into regular life living at some point. And then you were groomed and exploited. Yes. And then you were rescued. Yes, the rescue. (laughs) And then you kind of almost fell back into an exploitation situation again. I did. And then the drugs and alcohol, and mm-hmm. then you go to treatment again to get sober. Ultimately, yes. So that's kind of the overview Definitely. of what I want to cover today. And we'll talk about, you know, sober on in part two. Absolutely. Because I have a lot of questions about your recovery, too. So tell us what you know about your earliest childhood and being in an orphanage in Russia. Yeah. So I spent the first two years of my life in a Russian orphanage in Moscow. Okay. And, you know... The, the workers there did the very best that they could, mm-hmm. but the conditions were not always right. Um, right. I, I spent a lot of that time not being held, not having a mother's um, touch, not having that conscious contact with a parental figure. Yeah. And I didn't know how much that would impact me later on in life. Right. But upon my adoption, um, one of the earliest stories I've heard about that was um, in Russia, we have our heads covered and wrapped with a babushka to keep us warm. Because it's so cold Yeah, there. it's okay. so cold. And so that's just, just how it is. And I got to America and I feel wind in my hair for the first time. Wow. And I was freaking out. I was touching <laughs> my hair. I was looking everywhere. I'm like, what is what is the sensation? Wow. I, I had not experienced actual wind, perhaps sunshine even. Wow. And so it was, uh, you could say culture shock or just situation shock from the Sensory very start. shock, probably. Sensory, for Sensory. sure. Sensory, yeah, because oh, you, yeah. you'd never felt the wind in your hair. No, and I, I never thought how much that would impact me. Has that has that something that's been ongoing uh, later as, as you got older and realized what it was? Yeah, it sure is. I, I always bundled myself up. I always had my head covered. <laughs> it was just something, a, a comfort zone for me. So how did, um, and so you were adopted by good parents. Amazing parents. And you got to grow up here in Houston? I did, yes. I grew up right here in Houston. And man, best parents I could How ever did they for. come to adopt you from Russia or pick you? or how, yeah. What do you know about that? So they had been connected through their church after a couple of bouts of um, struggling to conceive and they were um, they were led by the Lord mm-hmm. um, to ultimately adopt and adopt internationally. Mm-hmm. And so through the church they were connected with the orphanage and um, in I think what 1998 that's when they came to visit me for Adopting the first time. in America is hard that it I've is. heard. And so a lot a lot of times you hear people adopting from other countries where there's a little bit easier to get a child yeah. than, than it is here. But sometimes those countries change the laws they and then do. you can't adopt from there anymore. They do. And right around that time, um, the Russian government had closed the ability to adopt boys. And so they said, OK, well, Christina's the one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a girl then. Yep. <laughs> I'm here now. My husband, Donnie, his uh, sister, who lives in Illinois, Mandy. Hi, Mandy. Uh, she was adopted. And then she grew up to adopt, I think, I'm sorry if I'm going to get the number wrong, Mandy, six, maybe, children from another country. And one set of twins. And and it's been so cool watching. Donnie didn't meet her until later in life, but it's been so amazing watching the beauty and the love of adoption. Oh, yeah. So we'll talk more about that. Let's go to a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio.
Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio with this host, Heather Mosher, and my guest, Christina. Welcome. She's telling her story of adoption and redemption. Absolutely. (laughs) So you had wonderful parents that picked you and you got to grow up in Houston. And although you may have had some sensory and some nurturing things that from the orphanage days, uh, how did your childhood go just in general? Was it a good childhood? Bad childhood? Yeah. The first the first word that comes to my mind is fruitful. Yeah. Um, Spiritually, mentally, emotionally. Um, My parents were quite strict, though, um, especially with me being their first. Mm -hmm. Incredibly strict, but with the intention of love and protection. Yeah. And I'm I'm entirely grateful for that in retrospect, though. You don't like it at the time. At the time. (laughs) What do you get when you have not just a kid, but an adopted kid with a lot of strict um, parenting? Um, You get rebellion. Yeah. What do you think some of the... Regular kids rebel, right? Any oh, yeah, kid. any kid. What do you think some uh, kids that are adopted might experience in a higher degree than oh, yeah. someone who's not? I immediately took like a no or like a boundary set as a I am not enough to, you know, to make I'm not enough or I'd internalize things. and mm-hmm. I'd say, OK, well, if I'm if I'm grounded, that means I am rejected oh. and I am unwanted. Because there's always that kind of like not good enough yeah. or fear of abandonment. And, yes. Okay. And it's all amplified. And so what do I do from an early age? I'm internalizing these things and I'm creating false, um, you know, characteristics, like uh, false beliefs about myself. Yeah. You're wearing the labels. Oh, I'm. Oh, I You're am, making yes. up the labels than wearing them. I was them. embodying all these these lies of the enemy that were mm-hmm. over me from a young age. And they were not from my parents. They were internalized. Because your parents didn't no. teach you these things that you no. weren't enough. They nurtured you. And oh, they did. And they, they taught me about Christ. Yeah. They 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 brought me up in the best of their abilities. Right. And so later in, in high school or, you know, later, what started to ch- happen as a result of your rebellion? Oh, yeah. First and foremost, just like all of us, we want to fit in. I wanted to fit in. I wanted yeah. to have um, the acceptance of my peers. Yeah. And I was willing to go to any length for that. Yeah. And if that meant lying, cheating, stealing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and being that rebellious spirit blended in with that, mm-hmm. I was... I was off to the races when it came to finding um, um, not not very healthy fellowship. Yeah, um, I was. I took to the other rebels. I took up to the Ran, other. Started running with the wrong yes. crowd. <laughs> oh yeah, because that was the place where I didn't have to fight for my belonging. Yeah, all I had to do was keep staying complacent. That's what I notice about um, myself when I was a kid, and then my kids noticing maybe their choice of friends. Mm-hmm. When you choose a. Um, a certain class of friends, they don't require anything of you. They don't require you to be a good person. They don't require you to be honest. They don't huh. require you to treat people. They don't require anything. And so nurturing that is something that's going to foster negative behaviors. Yeah, I needed, I wanted to be around people who would co-sign on my excuses, co-sign on my world beliefs, co-sign on the things I thought about myself. Yeah. And it was hot toxic. Not good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And so when's the first time you experimented with drugs or alcohol? Yeah, so I'd say senior year. Okay. I, I had been um, uninvited from attending the school, the private school that I was at. Um, uninvited? Due to my grade. <laughs> due to my grades. Oh. Yep. And so my senior year was at a little, um, it was a homeschool high school. Okay. Where we'd all come in one little area and we would attempt to mm-hmm. do the school. Right. And of course, I started um, sneaking off, skipping class. And I was like, I had this little friend. We'd just run off. And I smoked my first, you know, I smoked my first marijuana. <laughs> I started yeah. I started uh, chain smoking the cigarettes. And I thought I was bad. I was yeah. like, this feels so good. When you have that rebellious spirit within you, 
anything that's taboo feels fun and exciting, oh, yeah. and there's like a dopamine rush, and oh. so you start to correlate it with something positive, even though it's not. Yeah, and that dopamine rush would surpass the chemical I was in, you mm-hmm. know, using. It was the the actual fact. Oh my gosh, like I'm I'm high right now, or oh my gosh. I just, I just drank. Like, I'm here. I'm grown. <laughs> I'm an adult. I am. I can do what I want. <laughs> Freedom. And so that's the interesting thing is early on people will associate drugs and alcohol and with growing up and being free and making their own choices. But when really it sets you into a prison. Oh, certainly. It's the opposite of freedom. I didn't know what withdrawals were at the time. Yeah. I didn't know that I was, I was going to therapy, you know, my kid's depressed. You yeah. know, oh, she's a little moody. She slams her door once in a while. I didn't know that that correlated with the fact that I was um, entering a state of almost constant withdrawal. Yeah. Whether it was chemical or even emotional. Because along that line, when you're ingesting or drinking or taking something, uh, it'll dump dopamine and different mm-hmm. chemicals. And then like people that do X or, you know, yep. all of MDMA. When you don't have that, your brain is, like, not producing the feel-good chemicals, and so you feel way horrible. You feel so empty, beyond empty. It's blah. It's it's, like a shell. It is. Absolutely been there. And and so... Did you go to college? Did, how, did I made an attempt? You made an attempt. Yes, okay. <laughs> I went to a, a like a junior college okay. um, out in College Station, and I was um, I had my first apartment, and I was alone, and I I wanted to be alone because I really loved solitude. I did, mm-hmm. and I started uh, the, the effects of that were depression and isolation, yeah. and I actually st- my whole addiction started with taking mass amounts of Benadryl okay. because I wanted to pass the time. And okay. then I got introduced to Xanax very shortly after that. And I finally had that, I had that moment where I was like, I finally found something that I, that surpasses the over-the-counter stuff, you yeah. know. Because Xanax hooked. is like, uh, Benzo is like a yep. Benadryl on steroids. I just wanted to sleep my days away. Now today, in active recovery, being a recovered drug addict and alcoholic, are you able to take Benadryl? Or are you like, that's something that I can't take? Um, You know... Thankfully, I don't have the ailments that would really require me to take them. Yeah. But there are a lot of other antihistamines that do take the place of that. And, you know, my with working with a psychiatrist, I'm able to manage my, my sleep patterns without okay. the need for something like that. And I'm a lot more prone to ask for help rather than try to doctor myself these right. days. Right. Because I was curious because I abused a lot of Adderall and meth back in my day. Yeah. And today, as a recovered drug addict, I can't take Sudafed because my brain does not know the difference between Adderall, methamphetamine, yeah. or pseudoephedrine. And so like you were saying, your your husband was getting you, you know, alcohol-free cough syrup, you know, yes. hip, yep. hip day quill, NyQuil. Just with my recent bout. And he, he know, and I've always, uh, I never knew that that was a thing. Yeah. And, you know, the cool thing about being in recovery is you find these little uh, caveats. You find the, the, something that works just as good as yep. it, but with sans alcohol or sans narcotic. Yeah. That doesn't have to trigger that allergy yep. and, and really be that slippery slope. Because uh, I recognize that. I was like nine months sober. And I was living with a boyfriend at the time, not the husband I have now. <laughs> Different story. Uh, but I went and had a cedar fever was in town back oh, in Kerrville. Yeah. And I had this horrible congestion thing. And I'm like in pain. I'm like, this has got to go away. So I go to his cabinet and I just pull out. I think it was a Sudafed. Might have been a Claritin D. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah. I took one. You know, I'm not trying to get high. I'm no. not trying to, you know, not be sober. And 30 minutes later, after my body had metabolized mm-hmm. it abnormally, because oh, I'm yeah. abnormal, uh, 
I felt like when I when you're coming down like day three or four after a meth binge. Oh yeah. And and it felt like this uh, geetered out or this intense and like like I needed to take more. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what is? And the so sensation revisited. I was like, mm-hmm. what? So I called my sponsor. I'm like, did I relapse? She's like, no, Heather, but you're allergic. Your brain doesn't know the difference. Absolutely. And so you can never safely use this in any form at all. Yep. <laughs> So I have to use the Sudafed that doesn't work. Yep, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Okay, so you're in college and you start to really dabble with substances. And how does that how does that go? How long did you? How what was the spiral like? Yeah, what started with dabbling turned into a almost daily habit, and a lot of the habit was born of meeting random people in my complex, mm-hmm. and they said, "Oh, I didn't know what." Um, X was. I didn't know that you could lace weed. I didn't know that you could kind of create this cocktail. I didn't know what these things were until the moments that I tried them. Yeah. And so it was a lot of, um, wow, I'm here now and I'm like, I've done three substances and I think I'm dying. Uh, And this morning I woke up and was just like, I think I'll just try to smoke a little weed today. Nothing crazy. Right. But I would amplify literally within hours Mm -hmm. and I would start to feel like I, I started to feel a little guilty. Yeah. What was it doing to your internal condition as this was going on? Oh, man, it was like a tornado ripping through through a small mm-hmm. town. I just started to feel like I was a wreck. Yeah. I started to feel so inauthentic. Were you able to show up at school? No, I dropped out. You I dropped, dropped out, out after about two weeks. I decided that my professor not letting me have a water bottle on my desk was enough of a reason. Okay. <laughs> I said, I'm never coming back. That justified resentment. <laughs> oh, yeah. There it is. Such sick thinking. And so how long did you stay in this college town doing a bunch of drugs with by opportunity? Yeah. Uh, and then how did that go? I made it a year. You made it a year. Yeah. And then I told on myself because above all, I love my mom. Yeah. I said, Mama. I've been doing, I've been smoking a little weed. That's just what you to told her. the surface. <laughs> yeah. And that was actually the, the catalyst for the next part. She probably knew that there was a whole lot more than just smoking weed going, but she needed Mama you to knows. come. Yeah. <laughs> Mama always does. Oh, yeah. Okay, don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. Listening to Relevant Recovery Radio with host Heather Mosier and guest Christina Stafford, talking about your story. Yes, maybe technically God's story, but he lets you tell it. Definitely God's story, <laughs> more, more so of a testimony. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm just excited to do this with you. And so, where we were picking up, you were adopted from Russia. You have wonderful parents. You dabbled in feeling insecure, and then drugs and stuff later. You go to college. You don't last very long. And then you tell on yourself. You tell mama, yep. I'm doing some stuff. Oh, yeah. And mama went right to work. She <laughs> had all the all of the suggestions and, oh, this place, you know, this this little treatment center. And out, out of a handful, this one stood out to my parents and they proposed. They said, look, this is your chance. Mm-hmm. You either go here or you're on your own to keep hurting. Yeah. And I knew deep in my heart I didn't want to keep hurting. And it wasn't necessarily a um, sobriety or recovery-based treatment center. A lot of it was behavioral. Okay. When I got there, um, we were sent off um, just in kind of the middle of nowhere. It's a wilderness type thing. It is. It's almost wilderness, but with some cabins. With some cabins. Yes. And so I went there and I spent six months um, in that secluded area. And they had therapy, um, psychiatrists, all this stuff, horse therapy. You know, it was cool. You said you were there six months? I was there for six months because I was trying to phase up as fast as I could because I did not want to be there. They had like 
five or six phases and they um they would assess you every week oh. and so what would i do i would star pupil oh yeah, I yeah. Would, oh yeah i was checking all the boxes <laughs> i knew the vocabulary everything and so i i wrote that out until i finally phased up to the um it's like an apartment complex where the um you know assistants and whatnot would live with you and they would okay. keep you accountable you'd have morning groups whatnot all that fun stuff so that's actually i when i started working at a local apg here in houston i didn't even know what an apg was but it stands for alternative peer group and mm-hmm. a lot of teenage groups and and stuff so i worked at one um and wilderness treatment and long programs like that of these yeah. behavioral modification actually really popular and i think they that work. they're great in the sense man they strip all of the external influences away from you oh yeah i needed to be apart from my phone yeah. i needed to change my people places and things but i didn't realize how much i needed it until i see the effects of that in active recovery right and i hadn't gotten that active recovery yet that place was wonderful they were very effective tried I might... to really give you a good foundation oh, yeah. to relaunch life absolutely and you're checking the boxes you're oh like, i'm checking I'm the boxes great. i am doing the manipula- manipulation <laughs> yeah. tactics i am there and so i get to the part where they say okay it's time to do your daily living skills cleaning your cleaning your living space mm-hmm. showing up on time um and did you have to get a job I at that time did okay i got my first job in a mall okay in a little in a little um snack shack you'd okay. say <laughs> not if that's an actual brand it's not the brand i was with okay, okay. <laughs> just disclaimer just, yeah just some place to get some snacks okay and i felt like i was on top of the world Everything's going good. Everything's going great. My next plan was save my money and get a car. Life's back on track. Oh, yeah. I was ready. I had my (laughs) escape plan to um, total freedom. Yeah. And I was like, if I can just do this. And so while I was there, I, of course, had been starved of male attention for a while. Was the wilderness thing female only? It was female only. Okay. Okay. And what do I do? I meet meet a guy there. Oh, yeah. And, oh, to me at the time, he wasn't a boy. He was a man. Right. And I'm like, oh, he's grown. And, and, man, what did I do? I fell face first into the most codependent season of my life. Mm. Yeah. And it um, it's it all started with a very heavy onset of um, what we would call love bombing. Okay. And what we would call, um, you know, just, yeah, love bombing is Explain the Explain to way. our listeners if they've never heard that term in general. What, what is love bombing? It's basically when someone with narcissistic qualities or just with like God complex, you know, that mm-hmm. um, comes up. Egomaniac? Yes, egomaniac. I, like like they are the chosen ones, um, comes into your life and says, this is meant to be by the Lord. Okay. <laughs> and this is what exactly, and I, I will be that role in your life, and I love you, and you're beautiful, and we're meant to be. And, so it compliments oh, you a lot? complimented, showered me with compliments, little gifts, but me food like I thought that that was like praises you oh yeah I was just the one (laughs) and for about a month I I felt that yeah and within that month that's all it took for me to decide to pack my things from this center and run away in the middle of the night to be with him to go be with him oh yeah because I was fully convinced and I didn't realize that at the time but I was fully manipulated into Knowing that, that, like, I thought this was th- the thing. And so you run away to go live with him after I a month? I lived with him after, yeah, after a month. And I was, in my mind, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, what the heck am I doing? Yeah. And in the forefront of my mind, which was already ingesting more chemicals because I was finally, quote, free, mm-hmm. I started smoking weed again. I, I was wow. drinking. And it was a free-for-all. If I wanted something, he would get it for me. And I had no boundaries with that. I was like, okay, cool. I'll just spend every waking moment high or drunk. 
And it wasn't always every waking moment, but I had something to look forward to every day that I had been starved of for about nine months. So you're getting drugs from him, getting yeah. alcohol from him, you're getting a roof over your head, yep. food, attention. Attention. I I was soaking up that attention. I really yeah. was. That was that need for affirmation from a very young age, like in full force. So did he, did he end up being a good guy to you? Absolutely not. So how did that? What, what? Uh, neither of us could have been a good part of that equation, right. but especially within that, um, I started to recognize um, habits and, and words and phrases that were being used and just certain mannerisms that were red flags, you know, and I would bury them and I'd go get high and I'd say, okay, I'll write it off this time. Mm-hmm. And in this situation, I had started to be encouraged to take um, suggestive photos of myself yeah. and to sell those photos. And um, Little did I know, I actually found out that without my permission, he was selling those he photos. He was also selling mm-hmm. them yeah. and making money off your photos. But it was painted to me like I was this savage queen, like yeah. I was this... That you were in charge, my own you were boss, empowered. boss, babe. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I thought I was so... Yes, and it was such a um, a dark place for me to find mm-hmm. myself in because I... Uh, so I've been a Christian since I was born. Yeah. And of course I had that conviction of this, like, wow, this is not for me. This is not who I am. You know, mm-hmm. how can I, you know, I'm living such a double-minded life right now. Yeah. And it was scary. And especially when I found out that it was happening without my consent, yeah. that was the so It's another part. form of violation by this person who says he loves you. It is. And so what do I do again? I actually started telling on myself again. And the first word that came to my um, mind in that situation was, you know, exploitation. Yeah. Exploitation was what it had turned When we've into. been off screen off camera talking about trafficking and, and exploitation. And, and I have another friend who works at an anti-sex trafficking organization here in Houston. Mm-hmm. Before learning about this from you guys, you mm-hmm. both, I always thought of trafficking or exploitation as some, some violent abduction. Yeah, you think of the Taken movies. <laughs> yes. And the more I talk and the more I watch documentaries, the more I hear your stories, I realize it's very subliminal. Yes. And they brainwash and they groom. Grooming. Oh, yeah. Absolute grooming. And you think that this is your boyfriend and you mm-hmm. think that you're in a committed relationship and that's all part of the the mirage. Yeah. You think that that's your normal. And it becomes so mind-numbing because... Oh, when you hear, oh, we're low on bills or, oh, I need a f- I need to go get my fix. Mm-hmm. You need to take pictures. Mm-hmm. It, it just takes a hole out of your entire body. Just like it just makes you feel so empty, empty inside. inside. Yes. And, and it's so scary. how long were you stuck in that situation? That whole situation, I'd say roughly about two years. And then you call mama again? Yes. I started telling her, well, she knew from the get go. She has the Holy Spirit. And she had the gift of discernment to know that this this individual was not Not of God. No. And even I knew that. I just didn't want to listen to it at the time. I wanted to ignore that part. And in this part where I tell on myself, she starts saying, you know, you you know, wait, you need some breakthrough. I need to, I need to break. I had soul ties to break. Yeah. I had spiritual bonds to break. And I didn't realize how heavy it was until I found myself, I I was in a motel. We were finally, um, we were living in a motel and it started to get to the point where I could not leave on my own and I could not have my phone on my own because he was was suspecting that I was onto him or that I, you know, his, his demons were seeing what like my light was recognizing Uh and that light was not dead. Yeah. Through that whole time I, I had started to come into prayer. Yeah. A lot heavier, especially in that last week before my rescue. God was with you the whole time. Oh, the whole time. He never left. Never. No, he never left and he never, you know, smited me down and you know and, you know You know, sometimes uh, I'll say uh, scripture talks about God just sometimes getting real frustrated and giving us over to ourselves. Yes, yes. And I was... so I recognize that in my own story that God mm-hmm. got real frustrated with me and he gives me yeah. over to my self-will. Yeah. And then you kind of got to get to the end of yourself mm-hmm. to go back to God. Absolutely. Once I hit that first series of rock bottoms, um, 
I realized that I wasn't being necessarily punished. You know, God no. wasn't yeah. like hating on me. It was literally like I have been given to myself and now it's up to me to ask for help. And, and that's where the rest of the story leads to after asking for help. And so you got to the end of you and you realize this is not the life I want for me. Oh. And you call your mom. Yes, I call my mom <laughs> and she has this amazing resource. And it's a, it's a group that goes in and helps um, women who women and individuals who have been through various forms of trafficking or exploitation or even women who have prostituted. You know, it's a it's, it's a, here. It's here in Houston. So it started here in Houston, uh-huh. and now they are nationwide. Um, it, it's called Rescue America now. Do you have a phone number I you do, can give in yes. case anybody is interested in reaching out? That, yes, there that is a like hotline. Help. A hotline number is seven one three three two two. Eight zero zero zero, and it is a twenty four seven hotline that will facilitate your safe and secure exit from the life, as well as the next steps to begin your new journey. Everything's confidential. Even if you are considering leaving that life, call call them. Yeah. Because it took me to reach out, and what what happened was they showed up with a van, and I had a moment to run. Mm-hmm. And it was the scariest thing ever. Because you have to. There's so much gravity around leaving a bunch behind. Oh yeah, I left everything I had except for just a couple bits of clothes. And, and even I, the friends or... or yeah, yeah, the common bonds. Okay. Yeah. Because you got to be ready to leave everything. Had to drop it all. And so we're going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio with host Heather Mosier and my wonderful guest, Christina Stafford, who knew you got married recently. I did. So I'm, I'm still trying to mentally bank your, your new last name. Even myself, too. <laughs> <laughs> but we're talking about your story of abuse and neglect to recovered and redeemed. And it's just there's so many layers to this story of oh, what, yeah. what God has done with you and through you. And so before the break, we were talking about this organization that rescued you from this exploitive situation. Yes. And so you decided to leave and you did. I did. And how, how did, what, was it great? Was it you know, rough? Was it? It was enough. Yeah. I did not end up making it enough though. Yeah. I was still, you know, I had gone through that trauma yeah. and, you know, I had, I had a lot of residual hurt Yeah. Um, and they had so many avenues in order to help me go through all of that. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I actually went into an old cycle of, I stopped showing up, mm-hmm. you know, I got what I needed and I started attending, you know, I attended church. I started having, um, you know, people were laying hands and I went through yeah. some deliverance and I, I went, I was there so heavily and I started to encounter the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. during this time and things were really good. I was living in my own little spot, running a room, um, felt pretty safe at the time. I was still attending. Um, I, I was trying to get everything out of it mm-hmm. and, you know, they offered everything that they could to help me feel like I was healing and, and to get to a point of where I know who I am, mm-hmm. reestablish my sense of self. Like identity in Christ, who does God say I am? Yes, absolutely. And during that time, the enemy was definitely prowling because as I was getting stronger spiritually and I was having these, you know, soul ties broken, I was Mm -hmm. having these deliverance encounters. I was really, I was there. Um, I had actually, once again, I had started a new job and and then my addictive thinking comes back in like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm good. I don't need this anymore. Mm -hmm. My addictive thinking, my sickness, my allergy, it all showed up again and I was like, well, you know, if I'm so spiritual, why is why am I struggling again? <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I questioned that for two seconds and then went to go get high. 
essentially mm-hmm. and I, that double-minded life came back into place where in uh, under one roof I was I was good I was actually so good and you know what I didn't realize at the time it was the company I was keeping under that roof it was yeah. my fellowship of goodness but what would I do I would leave and I would walk the fine line mm-hmm. and I started this new job at a restaurant and um, definitely found that to be a, a major trigger mm-hmm. for my addictive you know nature mm-hmm. um, the second I was offered to smoke I smoked yeah. because I didn't have at that time a structured recovery plan. Just keep in, in mind, terms of up to this addiction. point, you weren't working any steps. No, there was no steps. Um, there was. You were full of faith and belief. Yes, but you didn't have the structure, the pathway no. to be super connected to the God that you were trying to serve. Exactly. I needed that, and that would come. Yeah. <laughs> but first and foremost, um, yeah, I would start. It all started with occasional using, yeah. or you know, sneaking out back. Good point, though. It was occasional <laughs> using. It wasn't like the moment you relapse, you're drinking a handle no. of wild turkey. No, I, I it wasn't. It was dabble, occasional. Yeah. It took a while for it to spiral a again. A slow fade for sure. I'd say we're about two months. Okay. And then, of course, in that, while my spiritual um, while my spiritual malady was rising once again, mm-hmm. so was my, my discernment. My, my, my discernment was diminishing Yes. as my malady was rising. Yeah. And I started to enter, I entered into another codependent situation, another situation based off of lust. Yeah. Another situation based off of um, almost transaction, but not in the way of exploitation, but off of just like, oh, you're my girl now. I'm going to get you drugs. Okay. You know, and I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm bad, so <laughs> I'll get you the drugs, you know, yeah. and that rebellious spirit yeah. came back and that all of that, um, it was such a slow fade. Mm-hmm. That it's hard to say off to the races in that sense, but ultimately I still ended up just as addicted as I was before. Isn't it weird? Even when people get sober, mm-hmm. if they don't have the internal transformation, then they'll still be attracted to evil. Yeah. Oh yeah, that enemy is still prowling. Yeah, and and I my in early recovery, I really struggled with codependency and and promiscuity and and seeking oh, yeah. out validation from men and all of that, and it was like. Man, I got to a point where God's like, no more. (laughs) You know, here's what we're going to do through these 12 steps to fix this and change this. But, man, when you get different internally, what you're attracted to changes. Yes. Yes. And (laughs) I I hadn't gotten to that point because my my life was still lacking um, a 12-step structure and uh, the fellowship that would come with that. But that was soon to come. So you got rescued. Yes. Got sober again. But then slowly fall back into oh, yeah. not sober and another very toxic very toxic and that was actually my like first true blue encounter with like straight up domestic violence okay. um in that um when i would not comply or i would not want to stay up late or i would not want to do this or that and though you know people always ask a survivor like well why didn't you leave you know and at that time there was no answer for that no there was just no i wasn't asking myself that at that time you physically could and that's i was watching that documentary mm-hmm. last night about trafficked in america and, and you physically they always say you physically can but the emotional prison <laughs> that the, the emotional shackles they have you in yeah. you're not really thinking about like all of that no i wasn't i wasn't addressing those parts of me and whatnot and it's that's all in retrospect but essentially um that life just turned into a spiral of one codependency, two drug use, and three. When I started to be on the receiving end of domestic violence, I just felt so confused because yeah. I was like, "Well, aren't aren't you happy because you're high? Why do you need to do that? Yeah, you know, shouldn't you have done enough cocaine to feel good enough to not have to express that part of you? Yeah. 
And I remember trying so hard. I'm like, well, maybe I can pray over him. But when I'm geeked out, I'm trying to know that that equation was just not happening. Doesn't work. But but in that in that it, it led me once again to pray. Yeah. And to pray with intention. And and they say, you know, pray without ceasing. And a lot of that is to keep it in my heart constantly. Yeah. I don't have to be on my knees like twenty four seven. But I, I that actually took me to a point where that gift of desperation came into the picture. Okay. Yes. And then my prayer was, God, can you do something to stop me? Yeah. I feel unstoppable. That's not what I am. Yeah. And I, I know that by now, but what, what is what is going on? Why can't I stop? Why can't I firmly remove myself once and for all? Right. What is the missing link? And that was when, um, on a, early in January 2019, mm-hmm. I, um, I realized I was pregnant. Okay. And it was by my abuser okay. and partner at the time. Yeah. And I had never felt such fear in my life, you know, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily, well, you know, I could say shame, fear, and guilt. Yeah. And a lot of it was, oh, crap, like, this is my reality now. It was such a shock. Yeah. <laughs> and because you also know, like, because you were adopted. Yes. And uh, someone chose life for you. Yes, they did. <laughs> yes, she did. And um, and here you are in a, in a spot where you can barely survive and take care of yourself. Yeah. And so, like, what do you do? Yeah, first and foremost, I knew I was not ready to be a mother or a parent. I was not ready to step into that role. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could just say the coulda, shoulda, woulda, or God coulda, woulda. You know, right. I could have gone that route. But in my heart, in those moments, I, I realized that, first of all, this is not just my child. Mm-hmm. This is God's. Yeah. This is God's child. And I heard in my spirit, like, I will take care of you and your child. Mm-hmm. And that was all. I'm like, well, how? Yeah. How? how? First and foremost, once again, I, well, I told my mom, like, mom, I'm pregnant. And, mm-hmm. you know, she didn't smite me. Yeah. She didn't say I was, you know, screwed or anything. She just literally was like, okay, well, what now? Yeah. What <laughs> it's in my hands. Do? So I decided to get sober. Finally, <laughs> I decided to go to rehab uh-huh. because I knew that I could not keep up the life that I was living, especially with a life inside of me. Mm-hmm. And when I ran from my life from my child's father, mm-hmm. it technically wasn't for mine it at was, that point. I was so was- depleted, so diminished. I really ran for that baby. Okay. I and did. so you go to treatment, knowing you're pregnant, knowing mm-hmm. this is my motivation. Oh, yeah. This is what's got to get me on track. And and was it a 30-day rehab? Yeah. I spent about 26, seven days. And, and was it 12-step based? It was. Okay. And when I walked into the room, I'm like, what are these steps on the wall? <laughs> Why are people so happy? What is that? And, and, and little did I know that this would become my fellowship. This would become the, the game changer. And I entered sober living after discharging. Mm-hmm. And I could say that was one of the best choices I'd ever made. Made. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I, I am so grateful for my time learning how to submit to the authority God's placed over my life and yeah. sober living. Absolutely. And so, um, what ultimately happened with sober living and the pregnancy? And yeah, so I chose adoption for my baby. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, and and I had the soundness of the sobriety to help me make that clear choice. Yeah. And I have no, I have no guilt or shame with that. No. I've had someone ask me, how could you do that to your baby? What? I said, well, um, what? Give life. <laughs> yeah. And I chose open adoption. So I have conscious contact with him and his parents and I got to handpick them. Isn't that amazing? It's such a beautiful thing. And God, God's been in this story the whole time. So God's good. I love hearing your story. This is why this is only the end of part one. We're going to have you on again to talk about the redemption, the recovery, the 12 steps, and getting to visit your son in this open adoption. So thank you for listening. This has been Relevant Recovery Radio. And don't forget, those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. Hashtag God, though.